Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Lover Girls podcast. Today we're joined by Connor Fitzpatrick. Connor is from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. We met at the 2017 Canada Games where he won medals in all of his events, including three gold. Since then, he's gone on to represent Canada at multiple World Cups and World Championships. He represented Team Canada at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, where he finished 14th in the C1 1000 meter and 6th in the C2 1000 meter. We have our first Olympian on the show. Connor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, I honestly don't really know where to start. Obviously, you've had a very successful career in canoe kayak. Can you talk a little bit about growing up and I guess how you kind of got into your sport? Yeah, of course. So I started paddling when I was 12. And the main reason I got into paddling was because all my friends that played hockey in the summer, instead of skating in the summer, like most hockey players do, uh, a lot of my friends tried to get away from skating in the summer. So they went and paddled. So basically what happened was my friends were like, hey, we're going to the canoe club instead of going to hockey camp all summer. So you should come and join. So originally I joined just for like a fun aspect, but to also stay fit for hockey and ended up absolutely loving it. So like the first few years of paddling for me weren't like competitive at all, but I would still like race and do things and like try to compete, but I obviously wasn't good. And then it got to a point where my club coach was just like, hey, like you should maybe take a shot at like trying to be competitive in this sport. And so I kind of took them serious for one year and played hockey and did paddling. And then at the age of 16, it got to the point where I kind of needed to make the decision whether I was going to do hockey full-time or paddling full-time. And I chose paddling. And then that year, I won my first national title in Canada at the age of 16. And then I also made my first like Team Canada team, which is called like Olympic Hopes, which is like the first introduction regatta for us that lets you go international and that took me to Poland and that was like the biggest eye-opening experience for me because it was the first time I was out of the country and at such a young age so it was such a crazy experience and like there was so much to take in so quickly and I think that was super helpful in like guiding me to want more in the sport and that kind of hooked me on and from there on it just like kind of rolled downhill and I fell in love with it even more and every day I get up it's like it's not like a a task to go work out like I just like really enjoy it mainly because I get to get in my boat and have like my own time which is super awesome but I would say that's like where it really started and that's how it's all snowballed to where it's at today. Yeah that's awesome and I guess can you talk a little bit about like the opportunities you've had through it? Yeah, of course. So I've had lots of great opportunities to race at so many different levels. I've, I raced junior worlds in Belarus in 2016. I raced under 23 worlds in 2017 in Romania. I raced senior worlds in 2018 in Portugal. And those three years for me were so fast and so many good experiences in it, I like the sport has taken me so many places and I like I'm so grateful to have these opportunities and to get to do what I love every day and it's it's basically like a life job right now and it's there's no better way to describe it that I'm just grateful and super happy that I have this opportunity to do this every day 
in terms of taking me places like it's taught me so many life lessons of like the world is so different even from our side of the pond like once you go over the pond you see so many different aspects of life and the way they like bring themselves about their mental health and the way they treat their bodies and how they eat and how they live is just so different than the way we do things and I think that's something that everybody should really see and take a page out of their book sometimes and they could take a page out of our books for some things but I just think it's really good and I think everybody needs to travel to see things and learn. We love that. We're big we're big proponents of that too and just like yeah, experiencing other culture and just opening yourself up to yeah, just kind of like seeing things from a different lens too. It can be so refreshing as yeah, well. Absolutely. So yeah. Totally. Can you talk a little bit about um, the Olympic Games and kind of like the preparation that went into that and then kind of how the experience went for you? Yeah. So the Olympics was absolutely the craziest time of my life and for multiple reasons because COVID happened and that kind of like mm -hmm. really put a turn in the mix for everybody. And it delayed the Olympics a year and my C2 partner, like this was his one last go. So like when it got delayed a year, it was, it was tough for him because he was like, now I have to be locked down and not be able to train like with my partner, I'm stuck at home and this and that. And that was a big adversity block for us. And we made a decision that he would move into my house and we would quarantine together and then we'd be able to train together full time. So that was a big move for him. And like, we talk about the pressure, like that's a lot of pressure to move into somebody's home and train full time, basically like with your Olympic dream on the line. So every day mm -hmm. he was like, I wouldn't say like walking on ice, but he was, he, he knew the pressure was there and we did everything we possibly could in preparation to get ready for that. And like the preparation for us was very, very tough. Like we were supposed to have a competition, uh, the, it was a World Cup, and our team decided we weren't going to go because we didn't want to take the risk of everybody getting COVID at the time. So for us, we took that block, and we knew we had to train very hard through that block because we weren't going to get to race the competition. So for four weeks, we weren't big fans of each other because we were the only two people that we saw for four weeks because we were training mm -hmm. together. So that's another like very hard thing that we had to deal with is like, when you're with someone so much and so constantly, like, you know, it can get a little tiresome sometime, but where we were at the same goal, like there was times where we'd drive home and he would, he wouldn't even say anything. And I'm like, uh Oh, we're in a fight now, but like we're living in the same home. So it was very interesting. And we, we ended up winning our trials to make the Olympic team. And then, I won the C1 also to help us really secure the spot. And then once we knew we were going, it was just the fine tuning from there on. And we had a very good summer, very good support staff behind us, very good people. Like the biggest thing I can say about the Olympic experience from any side of it is it takes a village to get you to where you need to be. And there's so many people behind you. And it's like, I can't say thank yous enough to all the people that have helped me throughout my sport career to get to that moment. And personally, like for me, especially like, I didn't think it was going to come that early. Like my coach kind of made a joke in 2016 when I was like, just first on the, like first on the verge of the sport. And he was like, you're training for the Olympics right now, as much as you don't think you are. And I like kind of laughed mm -hmm. at him and was like, no, 
like you're you're kind of funny saying that and then it happened so it was really really like really eye-opening so then we'll, we'll move more towards the olympic side so we flew to tokyo and obviously because covid was such a big thing there was a lot of measures in place so it was a very different olympics so i've been told from what others are like but it was still like the most amazing thing. It's like, think about the most adrenaline you've ever had. That's what it was for me for 14 days. And the coolest <laughs> part about all that adrenaline that I can say is that all the people that you think are the biggest sports stars in the world. And like, I can just name, like, I'll just name a few like basketball players, like Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, and all those guys, they're all walking in the village and all the pro golfers and all the pro track athletes. And like, you see all the best athletes of the world in the village. And you like, you kind of have propped them up on this pedestal, but you forget to realize that in the village for those two weeks, you're on the same playing field. You guys are equals. Like they are not above or beyond you. Like you walk past LeBron James, you two are the exact same people for two weeks. (laughs) That was like the biggest realization for me. It was like, oh my God, like these people are just like normal people like I am at the top of the sport, just wanting to do exactly what they want to do on the biggest stage. And it was so eye-opening because everybody's on that wavelength and everybody like treats you as if you're the same person. So like I walked past Yao Ming in the cafeteria. I watched Andre de Grasse. I like was in the elevator with him after he won his medal in the 200. Like I couldn't believe it. Like I've had so many crazy interactions with so many crazy athletes that it just like you would never think would actually happen. So that that part of the that part of the Olympics was just it's mind boggling to think about back to like that I did all that and it's like kinda like a flash. Mm-hmm. But in the moment it felt like I was there for like a year. Because it's just like it's so like elongated, but it's not. It's like a quick snap of your fingers and then when it was over. So that was the, that was very, very cool and such a great experience. Like, I hope you two get to experience that someday so you can feel all the adrenaline. It's like jumping out of a plane 14 days in a row. That's what you're doing. And it doesn't. <laughs> That's insane. Down. And like, you think like you, you think it doesn't slow down and it just keeps building on top because then like your team Canada members start winning medals and they come back to Canada house where you're staying at in the party is just going the whole time. So then you're like, okay, I want to be a part of this party. So it's now it's about get the best result you can get so you can party with your teammates. And I never really understood, like, the – I didn't really understand before I went, like, how the village was going to match with Team Canada. But, like, everybody that's on Team Canada is your best friend, even though you don't even know them. You never have met them in your entire life. They're all from different sports, train in different spots, but they're all your best friends they immediately as soon as you're in the village. It's and then on like the competition side like the competing it's just like by then like your adrenaline is so pumping you're just ready to do it you're just ready to do exactly what you have no fear no regrets just lay everything out on the line and do your absolute best and that was kind of our mantra for the whole week was no fear no regrets and my c2 partner it being like his one shot and his last go at trying to go to the olympics like he was like i'm not gonna I'm not going to fault this one. Like I'm going to give everything I have. And like, I'm giving, I get chills right now thinking about it. Cause like, it was just such a crazy moment because we had a, 
pretty hard semifinal to make the final in C2000 because that was our focus that year was to do really well in the C2 and to finish top six was our goal. And we had a hard semi in the C2 and we're sitting in the change room and it was not like an ordinary like warm up. Like usually some people are very like quiet and like have the nervous anxiousness in the warm up. But for us, it was so like calming and relaxing and we were so excited and energetic and everybody around us was very confused. Like these guys aren't nervous. Like what's going on? Like they're just being crazy at this point because we were just all hyped up. And then we went out and executed perfectly and we set the best Canadian C2 time of all time in C2000. And that was like another thing that is like, it's funny to think back. It's like, holy crap. Like I, I kind of forget that side of it. Mm-hmm. And then we raced the final two hours later and it was the same thing. Just no fear, no regrets, leave it all out there. And that's what it was. And we finished six and it was the craziest moment because we crossed the line and we didn't really know what to think. <laughs> like it was like, there was like this weird sense of eeriness, right? Like we were paddling up the course and there were so many thoughts going through my head of just like, what happened? Was it good? Was it bad? Like, even though I know it was good, it's just like you almost second guess yourself because it was mm-hmm. so fast. Like it was a blink of an eye. Like the experience went so fast. It was so cool. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I hope any high level athlete gets to experience that because it's just such a different, it's a different mode. Like everybody goes into a different mode. And I get why they say like the Olympics is like the pinnacle and the peak of people that, that compete because the gamers is like what I call them. Like the gamers come out when the Olympics is on. Like just think about the hundred meter track event. The lights are shining down. There's 10 seconds of your life that can decide if you're a champion or not. Like, and anybody can do it. It doesn't matter. The best guys in the world screw up and somebody else wins. It's just Mm -hmm. like the craziest moment that can happen for you. And I think it's so cool. That's awesome. That's insane. Obviously, you're an insane athlete and you've had to perform under a ton of pressure, I guess. My question for you is like, how has your sport impacted your mental health? Or like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so in my sport, especially because it's so individual, but so team aspect at the same time, because you can race in a crew boat, but also race by yourself. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure going on a lot, a lot of the time. And this year at Worlds, especially like this is a a big one for me was at Worlds in Duisburg, like there was a lot of pressure. We're trying to qualify quota spots, which is like allocations to race at the Olympics for Team Canada. It doesn't qualify yourself, but it qualifies at least a spot for the team. And there was a lot of pressure. Like I felt like for me in that moment, it was just, there was so much going through my head and there were so many uncertainties and you start to think about other people and that starts to weigh in you and like puts this nervous anxiousness into you. And you put this crazy pressure on yourself to do really good and execute at the highest level. And (laughs) there's so many outside other perspectives that are worried about you at the same time. And I think like in our sport, especially we don't really talk about mental health a lot. Like we don't, we don't make it seem like it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to be sad and frustrated and anxious. And we don't like, we don't make it a normalized feeling. 
So it's like you try to like sometimes when you're at a race course, you try to like hold all your emotions in instead of expressing those emotions before you go race. So that's like a big thing for us. And I think in paddling, for me, especially lately, I think my mental health has been like super good. And I think that's just because I can disconnect myself from the sport, but also bring happiness to when I go to the sport. Like if it's all about results for you in our sport, it's going to be so hard on your mental health because you're grinding so hard every single day. And it's not, I don't find we train like other sports. It's a very different training style and method. It's very like nose to the grindstone, 325 days of the year. And it's mm-hmm. like all for one race. So it's, it's a very mental, mental grind. And you need to understand that. So if you're not happy going down to get in your boat, when the, lake is completely flat it's going to be really hard on you and that's like one of those things for me that like makes my mental health good is going to my canoe club even if I'm not paddling just to be around like what I would call my family and all my close friends that I just like get that relief of like stress and anxiousness and all those nerves that you get when you race and like I won't say that I'm not a nervous racer I'm I am and I embrace those nerves and like you have to because if you if you say you're not nervous you're just like hitting yourself and you're just putting more pressure on yourself so the more that you embrace your nerves and let everything come over you is the best way to kind of like cope with that for me especially like at the world cup i had a really big semi-final and i just had to sit down and sit in a chair for five minutes and just like look around and like understand the opportunity that i had where I was at, the fact that I'm healthy and that I have all my family and friends behind me and that like, no matter what that happens, like they're all still going to love me. Like it's not going to change anything. And then you just need to let everything overwhelm you. And I let everything just overwhelm me for five minutes. And then I stood up and felt so at peace. And then I went out and raced one of the best semifinals to see one I've ever raced. So it's just being able to be okay with feeling not right in those moments is such a big thing and I feel like we make athletes seem like they can't make mistakes like especially in very high level sports of like the NHL like the NFL the NBA the MLB like all those big major sports leagues even in soccer like there's no mistakes for those guys because if they make mistakes they get it in the media whereas my sport's not that big so we don't get it in the media so it's a lot less pressure so it's a it's very interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective for sure. I never like thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess what kind of advice would you have for younger athletes who want to like prepare themselves for the kind of level that you're at? I guess just sort of like in a general sense, not necessarily for paddling or like a specific sport, but I would say the biggest thing is make sure you're happy like as much as possible because the more that you're frustrated and annoyed with what's going on is don't set your eyes on a result set your eyes on a like a a goal and like your goal could be something simple like I want to show up and I want to laugh and have fun with my friends in this practice workout training etc don't don't force yourself the more you force it the more you put pressure on yourself it's just going to cause your mental health to go all out of whack and I think just being calm is one of the things that I've learned over the last few years. Like being calm in those big moments will 
yield such good results for yourself. And even sometimes like worlds for me, I think I was calm, but I don't think I was calm enough. So it didn't yield my best result probably, but that's a learning curve for me. And for young athletes, it's, it's so hard because there's so many outside factors that influence everything that happens now. But I would say being happy and like being in a, a good state of mind going into whatever you're doing is going to set you up to have a good training, a good practice, a good game, a good result, no matter what. Yeah. I love that because I feel like when it comes to high level sports, it's almost like you can't be laughing or joking or like having a good time. Mm-hmm. But I think Julie and I talk about this a lot where it's like, we just want to like truly enjoy our sport. And for us to do that, like, I don't know, I would say we're like a little bit silly people in general, but that doesn't mean that you're not serious at the same time or like taking the sport seriously. But I know like for me too, I play the best and I'm most relaxed when I'm like, no thoughts in my brain, just like enjoying the sport for what it is rather than like thinking about all the technical aspects or whatever. And obviously that's important in training. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, it's like, yeah, just reminding yourself like why you play and that hopefully is because you love the sport so much and it just brings you so much joy. So I think that's really important for not just younger athletes, but everyone to hear. So thanks for sharing that. Totally. And I think that like you can't change your personality to be good mm-hmm. at sport. Like who you are is who you are. So if who you are is going down and you and Julie joking before practice and having fun and playing around with each other is what you need to do that's phenomenal but when it's time to be serious and you can turn that switch on that's all that matters because when that switch Mm -hmm. goes on if you can be that gamer and show your competitive side when it's time then nothing that happens prior should matter and I think that's a really big thing and I think in canoe kayak we do have like a good culture of like letting people banter and play around but when it's serious like the coach will be like all right now it's time to be serious let's get serious and the switch kind of comes on. And I think that's a really good like indicator. Like you need to play both sides. And I, Mm -hmm. I really agree with what you said. Like, I don't think people should change their personality because there's this pressure to be this good or that good or perform at this high of a level or not. Like you have to be who you are. Everybody has their own, has their own like personality and wants to be the way they are. So let them be the way they are. But when it's time to be serious, turn that switch on and do it. That's the biggest mm-hmm. difference. Are you still, yeah, you're still training now, right? Yeah, full time still. Yeah. So like, funny enough, I don't you you guys don't have to include this, but you can. But like right now, on the mental health side of things, I would say like, right now has been like really hard on me. And the reason it's been really hard on me was last week during a training session, I my body just like stopped agreeing with me and I kind of knew something was wrong and something was seriously wrong and I didn't actually know. And I told our team doctor and she was like, Oh, like, I think you're just physically tired. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Everything is just feeling a little out of whack. So I went home and took a couple days off and then nothing changed. And I ended up going to the emergency room, the hospital to find out that I actually have AFib, which is like super uncommon in, young people but it's common in high endurance athletes in AFib's mm-hmm. atrial fibrillation which basically means like my heartbeat is super irregular and not mm-hmm. working properly mm-hmm. so right now like the last week I didn't train at all because I, I'm not a lab because my heart could cause serious problems so that for me mentally like it's been so frustrating and so annoying because 
obviously like I'd like to have this issue solved but on the complete other side like I'm so grateful that I'm still healthy and when I went to the eMERGE like they said they took all my blood and did a bunch of tests and everything and they're like you're actually healthy as anything like you're completely fine your heart is just a little out of whack and you need to go get a heart ultrasound to make sure that your heart doesn't have any problems in working properly and so the last week for me has been like kind of a roller coaster in that sense because I felt so empty not doing anything and not training but at the same time it's like yeah you can feel empty because you don't have sport but the bigger thing is that I'm healthy and alive and I didn't have one of those freak accidents where an athlete dies because they have an underlying health condition and I caught it and I, I would say like I'm super grateful that I am healthy and living right now and that I did catch it but the other side of the coin being the athlete and you guys would understand like you never want to sit out practices you never want to sit out games like you always kind of want to be in there but your health always kind of takes priority and like this last week has given me like that big realization even though I'm frustrated and annoyed and going through it right now but like like I said like your mental health and your actual health is so much more important and what that is and I think that's like been a big thing for me this week yeah wow thank you for sharing that I'm really sorry to hear that yeah no need to be sorry like I said just glad to not be dead yeah that's actually insane like yeah yeah wow well I'm glad you like got the diagnosis I think that's really good obviously now you know how to kind of move forward well, I'm just um, looking now to get an echocardiogram. So they basically okay. like 3D images of my heart to make sure like nothing like internally is wrong with my heart. Yeah. And then basically after an echocardiogram to get my heart out of AFib is they're basically going to restart my heart, which sounds wow. absolutely insane, but it's called a cardio version where it's basically they shock your heart yeah. and restart it. So your heart stops for a couple seconds and then it starts again and then it hopefully gets back into rhythm. So Wow. That's like what I'm waiting for now. So again, like I said to you guys, like it was, it was obviously scary hearing that I had like a heart issue. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the doctors were like, every piece of test and every piece of data we have about you tells me that like you're ridiculously healthy. So it's like, it's scary for them also. And my sister's a nurse and she works in the ICU. And when I told her I had AFib, it like really scared her because she's like, the most of the people that I see with AFib are dying. So it's like the fact that you're 25 years old with atrial fibrillation and train six days a week, three to four times a day is a very scary thing. So totally, it's not just me that's been affected by it, which I kind of turned a blind eye a little bit too, is like sometimes you kind of forget that everybody else around you is worried about you at the same time. So that also makes it tough. So it's, it's a crazy sport in a crazy world at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I think also like just the impact of physical health on mental mental health in sports too is also something that isn't necessarily talked about a lot. Um like I have a friend who just like is so injury prone and like will get back to her sport and then like immediately gets injured over and over again and like it's just such a defeating thing when like you're just ready to compete and like your body is just like not in prime condition. Um, and so, yeah, I think like, thanks for sharing. Cause that's not something um, that's easy to talk about. Um, Cause yeah, as you said, it can be really frustrating, but your perspective of gratitude also going into that and just like 
yeah, being thankful for like what you do have and the support that you have um, is also really meaningful and impactful. So it takes such a mental toll on you. Like you said, like if you're always injured, you're always fighting injuries. That's that's hard in itself mentally to deal with every day on a day-to-day basis, knowing that if I jump to block this shot at the net, am I going to roll my ankle on the way down? Like, yeah. those are intrusive thoughts that go through your head. And as much as people say they don't want to think that, it happens all the time. And the easiest example I can think of is think about all these football players that tear their ACLs and MCLs and get these crazy surgeries that basically bring them back as superhumans but you think when they walk back out in the football field that they don't think that when they make a move or cut one way that their knee is going to be 100 percent. you're crazy because they have that self-doubt so that's that will really like you said that will take a toll on your mental health and that will make you think twice about everything that's happening and give you slight anxiety about if you're actually at 100 percent and I think this week for me, especially with my heart, has just made me question of like, am I actually okay? Because I don't have the answer yet. So that like looming over my head of just like, am I actually okay is scarier than the fact of that I'm probably okay. I took like some time off earlier this year from volleyball and I actually had time for once to like kind of reflect on like years and years and just like life in general because I think I've I've been stuck in like a like go 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 mode and I think I just like had time off for once in my life and I kind of realized like you kind of just like realize how far you've come without even like I don't know to think of like me playing pro now I guess like I just never would have seen this for myself I feel like you can probably relate Connor but like You've literally been to the Olympics. Like, did you grow up thinking you would go to the Olympics? I wouldn't say that. I think my biggest dream when I was a kid was to play professional hockey. But I agree. Like, you don't think these things are actually, like, possible until it's, like, in your face actually happening. And I think that's the craziest part about it is that it can come and then it's there. And like you said, like... It's almost like you don't have time to reflect. You have to just do and then reflect later. And then when you reflect later, I think that there's more emotions when you start to reflect on what actually happened. And I think for me, in a lot of cases, that's actually what happens is I go through things and everything comes so fast and it comes so fast at me. I feel like I'm going 200 miles an hour. And then a month later, I start reflecting about how I feel and stuff. And it's so crazy, especially like, olympic memories and good race memories from like worlds and world cups and stuff like because in the moment there's so much adrenaline and you're not really thinking about like how you actually feel you're just like in that moment living that moment it's it's a surreal feeling but like you said like reflecting on those moments after is it's crazy it's crazy to think about and it gives you such an interesting perspective on the outside life and you asked me earlier what I want to do after paddling and I don't really have that plan set out yet and a lot of people are scared by that but for me like I think not having that total plan of like what I want to do as a career I think is almost better for me because it keeps me optimistic that anything can happen and maybe I run into something that I didn't expect to come up like and that's kind of like 
the way I've been thinking about it. And there's obviously things I would like to do. I would like to start a business of some sort, whether it be to open a coffee shop or do something else along those lines, or I would love to own my own business at some point. But right now, obviously the way that our sport works is like working a full-time job and like even working a part-time job for people is so hard. It's so hard for how many hours a day you actually have to put in to be good in our sport. And I think that's like a big misconception in sport also is like, you guys get it. Like to play pro, to go to the Olympics, to play at a high level, it's really hard. And to put in all those hours and work a job and have all these like just readily available funds is not the most, it's, it's not the most like easy thing to do. And speaking to other athletes in Canada that like, are at the Olympic tier, like other than track and field, like all other sports are doing the exact same thing we do. And like, you don't make the most amount of money, but you do it because you love it. And that's like the big difference is like, you're kind of just like slumming it out. And just like, because you want to get to that pinnacle of the sport and get to where you (laughs) want to be. And like, people just don't understand that. So like when people are like, you're 25, like, what do you do? And I'm like, I full-time canoe. And they're like, so, like, you don't have a job. And I'm like, no, like, I can't afford to have a job. Like, I don't have time. And they're like, what do you mean you don't have time? And I said, I train three to four times a day. I train at 8, 11, 3, and usually 4.30. So the time my day is over, like, at that point for me, it's all about getting your recovery stuff done and making Mm -hmm. sure you sleep and eat well so you can do it all over again the next day. So it's like, at what point do you fit a part-time job in there? And the people that do are going above and beyond. And again, like you guys said, like at that point for those people that are going above and beyond, like it's going to physically hurt them at some point and mentally it's going to affect them also because it's only so long that you can like take such a vigorous toll on your own body doing all that before like mentally you're just like start to check out. Yeah, I know. I actually just got paid my first salary like two days ago, and I was like, literally, like just in shock, like looking at the money, and I was like, they literally like pay me here to spike (laughs) volleyballs. Like, how much time that I live in Sweden, they pay for my apartment, and they pay me to spike volleyballs. Like, that's the like for you and Kate now. Like, you guys can be getting paid. $500 a month but you would take it because you getting to do what you love in a foreign country learning a whole new culture and perspective of life and doing what you absolutely love knowing that there could be a stepping stone for you guys to play pro at a crazy high level or go to the Olympics and I don't know how you beat that especially when they're setting you up for such a great opportunity and that's like I think a lot of people get lost in our world, especially of people that want to be pro athletes. They're like, well, I want to make $10 million. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand that the players that make $10 million are not the 0.1% anymore. They're the 0.000001%. And those are the people that are just like, sometimes it's luck. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And like, you can put your work in and you can put your time in. And you could go first overall in any major sports league draft and get injured your first year. And guess what? Everything you've done is for nothing because your career is completely over. And that's like what I don't think people really understand. And 
everybody's so focused on making $10 million and not focused about loving what they do and enjoying what they do. And they're just so like, they're so narrow minded on what actually they want comparative to what they actually need. Because once sport is taken out of people's hands, they kind of like are lost. And Mm -hmm. especially for people that go to the Olympics and then retire after like the post-Olympic depression is a thing. And like, it's a real thing. And the way I say, or the reason I say it's a real thing is, like I described earlier to you guys, it's 14 days of the most adrenaline of your life. So imagine those 14 days and you winning a gold medal, and then all of a sudden you're like, boom, I'm retired. And now, yeah. if you don't have a plan before you retire, and you weren't, and you weren't preparing to retire at that time, but you were like, I gotta go out on top, like this is a good time, like. That's a scary, scary thing, knowing that you don't have a job, you don't have a plan, you don't know what's next. Like that on your mental health alone will be enough to just like break somebody. And mm-hmm. I think it, it it's happened a lot and we don't talk about it, talk about those people that it happened to because we're like, oh, they just had a hard time. But it's like they didn't have a hard time. They didn't have a great setup or a great plan or a great support staff behind them. Like you guys would know there's only so much your family can do when you're down, right? Mm-hmm. Talk totally. to so many girls, even that come out of like their U sports career mm-hmm. and are like used to just like training all the time. Um, and just like being a varsity athlete and like, they don't want to go pro or like continue with it after. And then they're like working a nine to five job. And I think it's like such a tough transition when you're used to like being around the girls and like being around a team and you're just like put into a totally different environment where you have to, like, if you want to work out, you have to wake up before your job or like you're working Mm -hmm. out at night. And I think that's like definitely like a really tough transition. For sure. I totally agree. And I think in any sport, like, university athletes that are used to just like waking up in sport being there for them at such a ready available like thing is just like not having that there's almost like a hole that they need to fill in i think in some cases people don't fill that hole but they fill it with like a nine to five job like you just said and that's not always the healthiest thing either because then you're just lost and like for some people it's just sitting at a desk every day unless you have that opportunity where you're not sitting at a desk where you're moving every day to have some physical activity. And I think that would be insanely hard. Like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could retire tomorrow and sit at a desk for the rest of my life till I'm 65 or 60 and ready to retire. Like that just, I don't think I could. I know it's so tough too, because like, obviously for a lot of people too, like you, you just like need to work 40 hours a week in order for like a means to survive. And I think that's, like, so obvious, but it's so hard because, like, yeah, like Julie was saying, if you're done, like, your youth sports career or, like, you were saying, Connor, if you're done at the Olympics and all of a sudden, like, life just kind of slaps you in the face and, like, you need to do something in order to, like, literally survive. Yeah. <laughs> but it can be so tough because, yeah, you're used to, like, having your sport, having your teammates, all these things. Um, Yeah, it's so challenging. Another part that I think about, like, that you just clicked into my head was if you do leave your sport and you're ready to go start your life and 
the thing is, is like, especially for Olympic athletes that don't make a lot of money, like most of them retire when they're 28, 29. And most of those athletes have never worked. Mm-hmm. There's no work experience. So at that point, like you're stepping out into the real world and say you have a undergraduate degree from your university and it doesn't matter what you're in, but you go and try to get a job. They're going to go, can you present some work experience? That's a, that's a hard sell to them because they're like, well, you have no work experience. The only work experience you have is being an athlete for the last 12 years, which on the other side of the coin for me, I think speaks volumes about who you are. And I think being a high level athlete and playing professional sport shows a different side to the workforce world. But at the same time, there are jobs where they're like, you need X amount of hours of experience or X amount of experience to get this job. So it's at what point do they turn a blind eye to the, you don't have experience, but you have all the tools to be experienced. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's a crazy outlook on it for me because it's like in business, especially, which is my, my degree is in business. It's all about experience and that's everything. So for me, like when I, retire from sport i'm not gonna have all these crazy co-ops and crazy experiences that everybody else has had in the business world so at that point like i'm selling myself that whoever i want to work for or if i start my own business like i'm selling myself to everybody else to make them believe that i'm worthy of what they think they need and again like that's a we'll kick it all back to the mental health thing like you're really putting yourself on a pedestal to sell yourself at that point. Like that's a lot of mental grind. Mm-hmm. Especially when you've been proving yourself in your sport for 12 years. And then you're like, you finally reach what you want to reach, or maybe you don't. And you have to go to like the real world. And then you're proving yourself from the bottom again. Exactly. Like you it's could be crazy. on the sport and then all of a sudden you're at the other end of it and you're at the bottom again because you're in the work world and sport doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so you were talking about like post-Olympic kind of like depression or slump. <laughs> Is there something you experienced? Obviously, you're still doing your sport. Like you didn't retire after the Olympics. But is that something that you experienced at all? Or like someone that you know? Or just explain that more. There's definitely a sadness. And that's like, like, obviously, you're leaving the biggest competition of your life and you don't want to leave like I didn't want to lose all that adrenaline like that was amazing like I would take that any day of the week but you kind of have to and you kind of have to move on and realize that there's another goal now and that other goal is improving yourself to be better for the next quad and setting your sights on what you want to do next and for me after being at one olympics now my sights have changed and my thoughts and the way I am as an athlete have changed so much in the last few years from those experiences. And I think for the better to go to Paris and try to win a medal and do what I want to do. And I think that's a, it's a big change. And I think to speak to your point about post-Olympic depression, like my C2 partner, he went through it. Like he absolutely went through it. Like, he retired and it was super tough for him. Like, and I know it wasn't, I don't think he would ever tell anybody that it was, but it was. And he lost everything that he had and not 
in a physical or like literal way, but just like his void was he paddled every single day since he was literally 10 years old until he was 30. And then all of a sudden, just like cold turkey, cut it off. Like that was it. Yeah. It's like your identity. It's like who you are is your sport. So for to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. So for him, like I can, I can't imagine what that was like. Like I can't imagine just like, that's it all said and done like close the book let's start something new so i think for him like it was definitely really tough and not the easiest thing in the world but he got through it and he's good and he had the right support staff to do that but i totally i totally think that it's a real thing and a lot of people experience it and i don't think many people talk about it i guess um where like where do you see yourself or like or what are the goals that you're currently working towards right now and like kind of where yeah where do you see your sport taking you the next couple years so obviously currently training for paris the next quad and very seriously training obviously need to get my heart sorted out first and Mm -hmm. then everything should be fine but i hopefully would like to put myself in the mix in 2024 and then after that, like, 2028 is not that far for me. So I think that's another kind of goal for me. And I think I'll stick around for L.A. And then probably after that, that'll probably be it for me. And then it's life deciding time after that. But I think right now my biggest goal is just, like, making steps forward as much as I possibly can comparative to the rest of the world. And everybody is so good. And I think that right now in my discipline especially like the guys are the best they've ever been and people are going the fastest they've ever gone and that's hard to chase but for me like it's a fun game like I like to chase things that people will say are not possible and people always tell me like hey you can't do this you can't do that like it's not possible and when they say that to me it's like okay now I need to prove you wrong and I think that's kind of like my mindset all the time is like make things happen that people don't think are possible and I really think that's a a cool mantra for me and just like working hard all the time and grinding even though it's tough sometimes mentally and making your bad days good is like that kind of defines you who you are and how good you're actually going to be and that's the big one for me okay last question for me what would you say are some practical ways that you're kind of prioritizing your mental health or just like taking care of yourself in that way as you deal with injury and prepare for this next goal so a big thing that i think that i could do better to actually help my mental health is like actually disconnecting a little bit more like almost like putting it aside and that's that's hard that's really hard as an athlete like it's a really hard thing to do and I think for me especially that would be really 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 helpful but I think what I do well now is I just think that I don't let everything go to my head I don't find I'm an overthinker I don't think about everything that happens all the time I do think about things that happen some of the time but I think I do know how to disconnect my brain from like training and racing and stuff but I think more disconnecting myself from actually like 
being at the club or being at the lake is like a better thing for me, like almost staying away. Mm-hmm. So right now I would say that my biggest mental block is understanding that I will get back to training at some point, hopefully, and just staying calm and like embracing all these emotions that I have. Like, yes, it sucks. Yeah, it's annoying. Yes, I'm frustrated. Yeah, it makes me sad. Like, I, there's a lot of things that I can't do that I normally would be doing, but it's like it can't happen right now because my health takes priority. And understanding that it will be okay at some point is kind of like what's driving me to stay in an okay mood and stay like positive and everything. And I've had a few days where I've just like not wanted to, like just not wanted to do anything or not wanted to talk to people because it's just so frustrating at the time because you're so used to doing something every day and not doing it at all. It's just weird. Just sitting and waiting and waiting for a doctor call is just, it's hard. So I would say those are my big things mentally right now. It's just like staying positive, being grateful that I'm actually healthy and that nothing is hopefully like seriously wrong and that everything will turn up and everything will be okay. Eventually is definitely my big ones. Sweet. Thanks. No worries. No, I think that's great. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Connor. This was a really great episode, and it's really nice to catch up. Um, to the listeners, um, Grass actually signed her first pro contract in Germany, so thanks, buddy. It's been very exciting, and Woo. now we're both going to be in Europe. We're going to be in the same time zone, which is really sick. Not very far apart either, which is Oh, good. it's an 11-hour drive, so... <laughs> no it's it's really good and to think of last week you know you didn't even know this was gonna happen it just life can change really really quickly in the blink of an eye just never yeah, know but how, so how did that make you feel mentally like not knowing like you're almost being lost you're almost lost yeah so it's funny because what we were talking about with like you're done your sport and you have to get the nine to five to make means like literally to survive Mm -hmm. so i like got a job in my hometown and have been working well first of all it took forever to get a job and then i got a job and i've been working and i think on thursday julie and i facetimed and i was like i don't think i'm gonna end up getting a pro contract like i think i just gotta kind of like maybe you know play next year in college or something or like whatever like I was kind of down bad and then Friday morning I woke up and my agent texted me and was like there's a team in Germany whatever so I think um getting it I'm definitely feeling all the emotions like at first you're like so excited because what you've been hoping for is like finally happening but then I think the reality sinks in of like okay I'm gonna move away from my family until the spring and like all the like practical elements really like hit you in the face mm-hmm. i'm still really excited but definitely dealing with all the logistics and also the nerves of like okay i gotta get back into it um the team is pretty good like you know all the things comparison whatever so yeah i think i'm just like kind of what you were talking about connor just talking about like the gratitude aspect, I feel like that's always been super helpful for me. And Julie and I have talked about that a lot before of just like, I'm really 
nervous to like see what happens but it's also like this is such a great opportunity and it's going to be an amazing experience like kind of no matter what happens and like it's so easy to think about all the worst case scenario things that can happen but it's also like I'm so lucky to be in this position and I know so many girls like from coaching in the summers and stuff like that like so many girls would like kill for this opportunity um and so many people never even like get this opportunity and so I think just going in with the mindset of just like being super grateful for being able to do this and like put off my my adult life for one more year and like go go play the sport I love in a new country and like meeting new people all that stuff I think like those are the things that I'm really focusing on as well obviously there's gonna be tons of volleyball to play um but yeah I think just like really focusing on the gratitude and then there's also just so many like supportive people I've been like slowly telling people as like more and more of the logistics are fitting into place and I just feel really supported in that too like yeah, people are just excited to see you succeed and, like, have an amazing experience, so, yeah. That's super cool. I'm glad you're, like, going to get to, like, almost, I'll say fulfill a dream. I don't know if this is a huge dream for you, but I'll say, like, to fulfill something like that is so cool and to get that crazy experience of, like you said, like, leaving your family and kind of dropping everything to do what you love is definitely, like, a crazy thing to do in the moment and yeah like I guess because in our sport we don't like really just like leave like that and we don't like go live in one spot it's a lot different for us in the sense of like we move but we move lots so like for six months of the year I live in California and train and then I come home for like 10 days and then I jet off to a world cup and then I go to another world cup and then I come back right. for a small portion and then I jet off to wherever Worlds is and then whatever else follows. Mm-hmm. So like for you guys, I think it'll be nice that you'll have like a sense of like a new home and you'll get to settle in and everything will become normal. But obviously like you'll miss family and friends and stuff. But yeah, I think it'll be so exciting for you to, like you said, make new friends and get into that new environment and get back to volleyball and get everything like sorted and playing again and I think that will just be such a crazy experience and obviously like there will be a lot of adrenaline going so it'll be cool so like yeah like we said earlier like make sure you reflect on your emotions and be ready for it because it will be cool mm-hmm. yeah no I'm really excited it's gonna be sweet no playing in Europe is a totally new vibe it's not it's not like the OUA buddy it's not <laughs> Yeah, I got my big sis. She can give me all the all the advice, Julie. So she's she's been there for a little bit. So three pro games. Look at that. Hey, three more than me. (laughs) No fika in Germany though, Julie. Yeah, but buddy, you're gonna love the food, coffee, the treats. Hopefully, there's bagels for you in Germany. I know, I know. No, it'll be good. Yes. Okay, well, thank you so much, Connor. This has been thank you. And yeah, really excited to see what you do in the next couple years. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you guys as well. Like good luck to everything you guys do. 